Welcome to Purpose Inc., the podcast where we discuss corporate purpose and stakeholder capitalism. I'm your host, Michael Young. I love politics. I always have. But I think we must confess and admit at the moment in this country to a vast and painful disproportion between the machinery of our politics and the quality of the government it has produced and the value of the outcomes for the citizenry. And one might say, well, that's because we have divisions in politics, but we've always had divisions. People are different by their very nature. They, we hold differing views and we have political parties that represent those views, or at least we hope. Um, but we now, what's different, and so divisions are not new, but what we now, what's now different is that we live in an age where the political media industrial complex has amplified those political cleavages and social divisions to the extent that there is now virtually no space in our civic life for respectful dialogue, thoughtful deliberation evidence-based problem-solving, let alone civility or effective government. And I would say, and others have, that the proximate cause of this is a media landscape that is now powered by revenue-maximizing algorithms that create filter bubbles designed to inflame our lizard brain emotions and a business model structured to manufacture and amplify fear and outrage. And this weaponization of division has forced us into segregated thought bubbles where the views of others, if they're expressed at all, are caricatured and mocked and where we see one another as enemy combatants rather than members of the same tribe, the same species, the same family who may fundamentally disagree, but need one another to work through and solve the big problems that we face as society, as a society. You know, things like global pandemic, climate change, social inequities, racial injustice, just, you know, picking those out of thin air. So rather than seeking compromise and solutions, we're being trained by the political media industrial complex to fight one another rather than see that we're all in this together. And so that's what we're going to talk about on this, on this episode. Um, my guests today are Bill Shireman and Trammell Crow, uh, two individuals who have spent their lives finding common ground and bringing sworn enemies together to the same table to find solutions uh, that we can agree upon. And Bill Shireman is the founder and president and CEO of Future 500. Future 500 is a nonprofit consultancy that builds trust between companies, advocacy groups, investors, and philanthropists to advance business as a force for good. And Trammell Crow is an entrepreneur and philanthropist, and he's the founder of EarthX, which is the largest annual exposition and forum showcasing 
initiatives, research, innovations, and policies and corporate practices serving the environment. And I think Trammell provides proof that that middle America, middle American conservatives love the planet just as much as coastal progressives. And and both men are really studies in contradiction. They they emphasize uh, they identify as Republicans and environmental ad, ad, activists, social conservatives, and free market enthusiasts. And what they're doing is finding innovative ways to solve complex environmental and social challenges. And their message is simple, that we can't meet the global health crisis, the climate crisis, the economic crisis, or any future crisis as a divided nation, that we're not enemies. We are family. Uh, and the, that we have to work through our differences together and that the real enemy is polarization. And so together they have launched a cross-partisan campaign called In This Together. And they've written a book by the same title, um, which I have read and I, I can commend to you. And I will link it to uh, in the show notes. And And their audience for the book is the 98 million voters who are dissatisfied with both political parties. But those who identify as bridge builders and problem solvers. And they point out that there is a supermajority of voters in this country, about 70%, call them traditional liberals or passive liberals or the politically disengaged or uh, traditional conservatives um, who are together open-minded and fair-minded and are willing to hear one another and 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 solve problems together. And what's incredible about these two, uh, about Bill and Trammell, is that they're not interested in ideological litmus tests or interest group manipulation. What they want to do is create a new approach where we can elevate politics back to what it is meant to be, which is a a vehicle for us to work out our differences, and and what they suggest, and we'll get into that. We get into this in in the discussion today is that we we need to harness our collective power, our aggregate buying power, and our voting power to take back control. And so this is an absolute spot on conversation, right for the times ahead of uh, our, our coming election. So I'm thrilled and and delighted to welcome Bill and Trammell to the podcast. Bill and Trammell, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Happy to be here. Thank so, you, Michael. Thank you. And so, so we're going to get into the book uh, primarily, and we're all in this together. Um, and and I think one of the things that for me leapt to the eye when I started reading the book was this this comment in there about the fact that there's virtually no space right now in our civic life for and I'm quoting for 
respectful dialogue, thoughtful deliberation, evidence-based problem solving, and civility in the public square, or effective government. And and I, I will say this, I find your your analysis and your critique of our current political system withering on point, but in a in a way hopeful. And so you know, I'd like to just turn it over to the two of you and 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 you know how to first of all Give us, give us, unpack that analysis of how we got here, and get into what are the immediate causes of this, and 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 then where do we go from here? Well, Michael, Bill uh, is the primary author, the thought leader, and smarter than I am. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so Bill, all questions to you. No, yes. not all questions no. to me. <laughs> And I'm not smarter than uh, than uh, than uh, the guy who has you know a a photographic memory of uh, and reads a book a night, but um, but Trammell, I know maybe we can cut this part out of the tape, or maybe it works great. I don't know, but but uh, the points that are right there under question number one, which he just uh, read, you know, they are they are what we've been talking about. Do you want to start it and then I'll finish it? Well, I'm not sure if I'm uh, saying this the right way. But how do we find ourselves in this in this mess, in this polarization, in this <laughs> angry world? Maybe I don't parse things up finely enough, but I would say it's our zeitgeist. It's a the spirit of the times. It's it's worldwide the way governments are changing and populism is uh, the the new direction that we're going in. But to be specific about it, I'd say it's the big data, the algorithms that separate us all and put us in our little camps. And uh, and then the political industry, which uh, has just gotten worse and worse and brought us to this point. It's really it is that political industry, which has always been there. But and the business model for politics for a long time has been fear but now we have these two new elements of big data and social media, and they are making scientific. They're getting so far ahead of the human of human cognition that they are really trapping us before we even realize it into these echo chambers that keep yeah. us at odds with one another. And is driven by advertising, driven by the advertising dollar. It's not driven by a desire to destroy the planet or the country, it's driven by advertising dollars. So you could yeah. say that this, this uh, again, worldwide global trade, uh, hyper-capitalism, is just finally emphasized profit so much that our wonderful establishment of the press is not what it used to be, it's become business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is no news media. There's no serious news media. There is simply entertainment that is cast as news. Right. And the only criteria, criteria isn't truth. The criteria is clicks. Right. Yeah. I heard somebody say it's not about the First Amendment. It's about second Gulf Stream. So <laughs> the, 
so but but I guess the hopeful part in in, in the book and and what I what I saw is yes there are these there are these warring factions and there's this this information industrial complex that leads us to alienation and separation but in the in the book you talk about the supermajority of traditional liberals and traditional conservatives who are open-minded and willing to hear one another and work together. So could you bring us into that thought space? Bill? I'll start and travel. I want to hear about uh, EarthX because EarthX is really doing this. But there is a 70% broad center of us that really can work out any of the big challenges that we face, climate, you know, even the even the wedge issues, which are now, you know, uh, abortion, guns, immigration, and climate. Those are issues that are used by the political industry. They never want them resolved because they're highly profitable, and they divide people into these neat little chambers. But seventy percent of us can work out all four of those issues and more. The problem is that we've been divided into these two separate echo chambers. And if you're on the left, all you hear about the right is the very most objectionable things that they could possibly say. And if you're on the right, all you hear about the left is the very most objectionable things that they say. So we're all thinking the other side is all crazy and our side is only partly crazy. So we're gonna side with ours. That's destructive. So you know the, the, the objective is quite simple. It's to build a bridge between the those two 35%, build a bridge of about 5 million people that can connect that 70% majority together again. And, and uh, EarthX is a part of that bridge. Well, I like to be dragged in. Uh, yeah, I like to be dragged in. <laughs> you mean I, you're, you insist that I speak about EarthX, do you? Well, I shall. Yeah. <laughs> That's not right. You know engrossing uh, project for 10 years now. We uh, started Earth Day Dallas and uh, with the idea of Earth Day is a time when the environmental groups should get out there in front of people, not so much to have festival to celebrate, but to educate and, and to incite to action. Doing it in Dallas, of course, made it a different proposition where we couldn't just go start screaming climate at the top of our lungs. So we learned very, very quickly that bringing people together with different points of view was the approach that we had to take here. And now, even though we're online, it seems that so many people agree with the idea of opposing points of view that, that I've met in the environmental world, people out in the field, uh, they appreciate what we're doing a great deal. So this theme of speaking of things in ways that haven't been different voices sitting together, Republicans and Democrats on the same stage, ocean expert meeting a sustainable rancher, <laughs> uh, is what we've created. And it's what's necessary to get ourselves out of this fix where we're so polarized. It's really the most authentic rainforest in the environmental and sustainability community. Every species of human being is there. We've got, you know, men and women. We have a spe we have special 
program with uh, with uh, women and uh, and uh, we've got the corporations we've got oil companies we've got tech companies we've got you know billionaire donors we've got mainstream investors we've got the in, you know and, and of course uh, ethnically and racially and religious and so on we've got a tremendous diversity of people at EarthX. and and when you get these people together there is a chemistry that results in new possibilities, just like physical chemistry does. You get these people together and a lot of possibilities come into being. We've changed whole markets uh, globally, the forestry market, and, and we're beginning to change markets around plastic. And uh, you know we're failing to change markets around climate, unfortunately, because of the political barriers. But uh, but all of this is possible when you bring diverse, truly diverse people together. These these uh, these excuse me these uh, accomplishments in rainforest and ocean and so forth are things that Bill has done through his Future Five Hundred Corporate Sustainability work, and that conference also occurs at our place as well. What really excites me as an example of this are the hunters and fishers as wildlife conservationists, which is difficult for many people to accept because they just don't understand it. The United States of America is a walking laboratory of how we have so many mammalian species healthy with healthy mm -hmm. populations because of hunters. But they've come to us after 10 years here in Dallas. Dallas is an epicenter of hunting and fishing. And they've come to us after watching us happen for so long and realizing that we're safe territory for uh, different points of view as a group of wildlife conservationists and have wanted to reach out their hands and have dialogue with the environmentalists, the conservationists and the environmentalists. And that's, that's, if that can happen in this day and age, uh, it's, it's stunning to me. Uh, and the environmentalists have not been difficult to uh, entice into such a dialogue. And that's extremely important because half the environmental movement is really missing in action uh, politically right now. The environmental movement is represented as a liberal, progressive, democratic cause, but conservatives, Republicans, uh, libertarians, there are huge numbers of conservationists there. They have led, traditionally led the conservation movement and, uh, and they form a together a supermajority of Americans who are dedicated to this. So we got to bring the hunters and the ranchers and the fishers and the farmers together with you know the vegans and the vegetarians and uh, yeah. you know the, the the liberals and progressives because we all love the land we all love the earth. Yeah. <clears throat> well, and and that I think was another thing that really struck me about the book and 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 both of your backgrounds and 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 the work that you're both doing in, in this space is and I and I appreciate the the mammalian diversity I I think that it, what you're talking about is a level of cognitive diversity that I think that is exactly what the algorithms are cutting against is cognitive diversity among among, among ourselves we're sorting yeah. geographically and right and and so progressives and conservatives don't mix and mingle so this idea that you two walk the walk in in bringing people together and have done 
for a really long time. And, and Bill, I know uh, from talking to Eric Wogelmuth at uh, Future 500 on the podcast uh, in season one, he really unpacked the theory of change and 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 you both have brought sort of warring factions to the table. And I think that is a uh, that is a mighty, mighty effort. I'm just hopeful. Can you guys solve this by November 3rd? <laughs> I think by November 4th. 4th. Okay, great. 4th. Excellent. So, yeah, so we have, it may take, you know, a little extra time. But so. I, I want to just... And that if would be I, in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I'm counting on you guys. But could we just unpack for a minute, uh, kind of double-click on this idea of, of how both... Liberals and conservatives are only partly right uh, about climate and the planet. And where where are each right and where are each wrong? And then where do we have to overlap those two circles to get some movement on on climate? You know, I, I, I live inside both echo chambers. And so I've had a chance to be completely baffled and gradually get some ideas about how they work together. But, you know, conservatives have traditionally a constrained view of of people and nature. Conservatives tend to think that people are selfish, uh, by and large, and that nature or the world out there is dangerous. And that's the running assumption. So they look out at the world and they say, you know, people are going to take our stuff if we don't protect it. And there are creatures in the forest or, you know, other people across the border that are going to attack us if we're not careful. That's their outlook on the world. So I call them the protectors. Their focus is on protecting what we have. They want to protect their families, their nation, their communities. And that's all very good. You know, progressives have the opposite tendency of the worldview. They think of people as selfless. You know, people will always do for each other first, uh, and nature is supportive. There's always enough out there for everybody. So they are the liberators. They look out and they see oppressors that are stopping people from doing what's natural to them, and they seek to liberate them. That's a great combination. The, the, the protectors to protect what we have, the liberators to release what we can be. But in our politics, we have separated those two human impulses, which are made to go together, and we put one group in one side to go crazy on the idea that we're at danger, and we put the other group on the other side to go crazy on the idea that we're all oppressed. And so, you know, we, we have these very dysfunctional communities. That's where it comes from. We simply, you know, we understand uh, if we're real human beings, that people are both selfish and selfless, that nature is both supportive and dangerous. That's what we need to deal with. We can only do that together. Got it. I, well, and maybe just un, unpack further the sort of the costs and the risks that we're facing economically, environmentally. Obviously, COVID is a new, you know, COVID then just layers atop planetary warming and and so does economic distress why this is obviously a unique time how do we you know what 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 are some of the immediate things and 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 you know just for shorthand i think i i talk about corporate purpose i think 
the the thought the intuition here is is about bringing pr- more purpose to politics and 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 so how how can we make some real progress on this and and given the the existential risks that we're facing now how do we how does this how does this come how do we come together well we are way out on a limb as a planet you know we got more than 7 billion people on the planet the the numbers continue to grow exponentially it's extremely dangerous and we're beginning to see the consequences of a single global ecosystem that is tightly connected it's the most dangerous thing in a rainforest if you've got just uh you know a monoculture uh, because anything can come in and spread and destroy the forest and that's where we are globally as a human culture we're a global monoculture uh, an industrial monoculture We've been forcing ourselves down the road of physical growth much, much further than is safe for us because we're afraid of moving into a culture that becomes better, not just bigger. We've got these institutions that are wonderful institutions, big government, big corporations, big labor unions and big NGOs. uh, And they came into power collectively in the 1940s and they haven't let go of power. We don't need to overthrow those big institutions. We need to re-enter them as human beings and realize that they were created by human beings to serve our purposes. They are not the power. We are. And uh, and reanimate them with real human beings. So that's why, you know, companies to do good, we have to make it legal and natural for companies to look at the most good that they can do and to profit from that. That means changing some of the rules. But not by regulation, by incentives. Yeah. Regulation just means you're making big government even bigger. And when big government gets bigger, big corporations get bigger. And you know the left sees it as corporatism. The right sees it as statism. It really is corporate statism. Uh, and it's not because the state is bad or corporations are bad. It's because people have opted out. We've somehow figured that they're different, you know, that that's <laughs> that they actually exist when they're just legal constructs in our minds. We have all the money and all the power. The institutions have learned to get it from us, but it's a pretty simple matter for us to take it aside and use it to make them better. Yeah, that's great. And and I think as you were talking, Bill, I, I was thinking about that, you know, the that traditional market focused conservatives will uh, hold up Adam Smith as the ultimate arbiter of what should make decisions, the market and the invisible hand. And, and I think forgotten in that is that Smith made a fairly blunt and withering critique of both monopoly capitalism and government overreach and cronyism. So I think that often gets forgotten and and I think it's it's interesting to see contemporary views as you know as, you know vegans and hunters that we are both of those things and I mm-hmm. think the we cannot go to one extreme or the other uh, um, quoting Adam Smith can be really dangerous <laughs> unfettered capitalism was not Adam Smith uh, and that's it right. just it seems that's the way people misinterpret it nowadays. The book that he wrote just before that, I believe, like in seventeen seventy five or something, was the 
requirement for capitalism to work is a commonly shared value system. And that's what we're trying to do without that work that way. Yeah, we've so mechanized this. I mean, it's absurd the degree to which data has enabled us to mechanize the profit, the, the process of you know, profit diversion and profit maximization so that we're not even operating. You know, <laughs> people talk about being fearful of when artificial intelligence, you know, occurs because how will we know? Well, that's kind of where we are. We've outsmarted ourselves with our machines. We're now uh, <laughs> trapped inside them, but we still have enough uh, self-awareness to step outside of that and uh, take charge of the machines. And maybe if you could just un unfurl for me the the Declaration of Interdependence, because I think there are there there are a number of of ideas in there that I'd I'd like to hear you both talk about. Trammell, you want to do you want to go through it uh, there, you, and then I can talk about it, or you you wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a group. It was quite a quite a collection of people actually that wrote it including uh, David Brooks, the New York Times uh, columnist, and uh, the representatives from about 20 different groups that are working to reunite the country. And you can see them all at inthistogetheramerica.org, uh, all the groups that participated. But the Declaration of Interdependence really is a recognition that our differences are a strength. Mm -hmm. We are reaching out to what we call solutions voters, who are those voters who understand that even though they might be you know, strong progressives or traditional conservatives, they are not responding to fear. They are pragmatic in their idealism. They respect each other. And by signing the declaration, we agree to work together and bring our best ideas to the table. We need 5 million people to, do, to sign this because that's 5% of the voting population. And that's enough to win any battleground race in the country. It's enough to change the business model for politics. But what it's really aimed at is, is genuinely understanding diversity. The current business and political model is based on a lowest common denominator of us. It takes our liberal fears and our conservative fears and intensifies them. That's lowest common denominator. It turns off everything about us that's really human. What we're focused on is our uncommon denominators, the ways that we differ from each other, because that's what makes us human. And when we bring our differences together, that's what makes us whole. You know, we're characterized as being much more different than we really are. Innovation, for instance, is something that's attributed to the Republicans at this time. But most of the clean tech innovators I know are Democrat. Vive la différence. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Republicans are good at talking about innovation, but they, but they tend to be, uh, you know, conservative and protective of the past. Uh, you know, progressives are, you know, claim to, uh, you know, want to march us forward, but they're and they're better, really, in some ways, in the marketplace, making marketplace ideas work, than uh, than some mm -hmm. of the conservatives out there. So we really need each other together. But the unifying, uh, I'm getting off subject here, the unifying similarity that we all require and that I think we all respect is science. I'm talking about from the envir environmental angle again. Yeah. 
Yeah, science is just nature. Science is just, you know, our attempt to understand how nature works. It's central to environmentalism. And the environment is the one issue of 20 that we have surveyed extensively around. It's the one issue that most unifies the left and the right. So it is time for us to, to use the environment as a unifying issue that can help us to fix democracy, because if we don't fix democracy, we can't fix climate. We can't save, uh, we might be able to save the oceans, but if we can't save, can't fix climate, the oceans are gone too. So we, we've got to get together. The environment is the way to do it. EarthX and EarthX TV are really right now, and we hope this isn't true down the road, but really right now, the only place where all of these communities get together. It really seems to be true. There's there's lots of media sources, of course, but there's none that is full time and haven't found one yet that covers all the issues. Some, some are just conservation. Some are just climate. Some of them have a few verticals. But uh, since we don't know any better down here, we're saying <laughs> y'all, y'all come. And it turns out that's really what we what we all need. And a um, couple of questions on EarthX, Trammell. Um, it, when is the next and how will it be held, presumably virtually? Oh, well, uh, the uh, last April, we had to cancel our event five weeks before it happened. But we uh, threw yeah. about eight of the conferences online and realized that would be the uh, the way to go. We started this Earth X TV, we call it, on website and social media about four weeks ago and uh, have, have had hundreds of hours of programming. But to answer your question, this October 22 is what we call Half Earth Day because it's halfway between April 22s. And we'll have a, uh, a celebration and a number of speakers then. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, October 19th to 21st is the Conservation Conference, Africa, United States, hunting, ranching, forestry, in addition to wildlife conservation. Something that we can do that other groups don't seem to be able to is Energy Conference on Hydrocarbon, and that's Thursday and Friday, the 22nd and 23rd of October. So they're all on earthxtv.org. Fantastic. And I'll, I'll link those at, in the show notes so that uh, folks have access to those. And uh, we'll definitely check out EarthX TV and, 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 and those upcoming events. Thank you for that summary. And maybe we're not almost up on time. So I wanted to just talk through a couple of closing remarks here for you both. And the book is, the book is out now, correct? Yes, it is. Okay, good. And we'll also link that in the show notes. But just, you know, if if you could both maybe summarize the the path forward and and you know, you've well laid out the theory for change, what are what are some steps that each of us as individuals and in our in our broader business and professional lives should be thinking about and doing in addition to signing signing the declaration. Just quickly, if you could both summarize, what would you like to see? What action can we all take? 
number one, what we can do is recognize our common power as citizens. This is why five million people coming together to use two sources of those power. One is our buying power. The other is our voting power. Five million people use their buying power to motivate the top brands on the planet to bring new sustainability practices across their supply chain. We will single-handedly be able to protect our living ecosystems and nourish them. If those same 5 million hold our politicians accountable left to right for solutions, they will we will change the the balance of power in politics and be able to get the vital policy changes that we need. But the other thing that we can do and that's what we do together, that's the common denominator. The uncommon denominator is each of us in our distinctiveness. We're moving from a consumer economy to one that could be a creative economy to realize the other, the other half, really the human half of, of, uh, uh, of human beings. Uh, we're not just consumers. We're not just machines. We're not just destroyers. We also are creators. And everybody has got a creative potential that's distinct to them. So those two things, what's common to us, and then bring forward your creativity. Uh, that's a part of the new culture that's waiting to come into being. I've learned a new German word, Michael, <laughs> and it's called Zichtumschulung. And Zichtumschulung is our zeitgeist. It means the discovery of new wisdom after emerging from a long protracted disease. We've had a lot of time to think. Uh, <laughs> Uh, even the most frivolous people I know have actually introspected in the last several months. So my mm -hmm. answer to your question would be to free yourselves, even you conservatives, free yourselves of the way that we've done things and the mentality that we've had. And let's, let's make a new normal what we want it to be. And Zeke Shalung is just too great an opportunity to pass up. Let's not return to the divisiveness. It's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for that. All right, gentlemen, Bill <clears throat> Trammell, we are unfortunately going to have to leave this here, but I am very grateful to you both for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you, Michael. The Purposing Podcast is a production of Actual Agency, helping innovators communicate in a changing world. More at www.actual.agency.